Welcome to Business City, I'm Julian Clover. This is the programme where we give you a helicopter view of what's making pounds and cents in Cambridge. Later, we'll hear from Dr Michael Anstey. He's recently joined Cambridge Innovation Capital. We'll discuss investing in Cambridge's burgeoning biomedical centre. There's the latest business news, but first, let me introduce you to one of our regular guests, James Cotton of One Space Media. James, welcome to Cambridge 105. I guess we should really start this all off by getting you to describe One Space Media and, and what you do all day. Uh, thank you, Julian. Well, you know, obviously my name's James. I'm the founder and managing director of One Space Media. Trying to avoid jargon here to some limit to make your listeners a little bit more comfortable. I mean, essentially what we are is a digital agency and what that translates as is we build websites and web applications essentially for um, companies in Cambridge and also nationally. Predominantly, we work in technology and life sciences, a lot because of the kind of concentration of those types of um, companies in Cambridge. But what we refer to largely as the innovation sector is where most of our projects reside. So innovation sector, how, how do we, who, who falls into the innovation sector? Uh, it's a very good question and, and the boundaries are, are definitely loose, I would say it's here. It's like plasticine, it's anything yeah. you want it to be. Yeah, exactly. I think sometimes, you know, I'd say technology, life science, you know, there's some exciting developments in finance as well. Um, Traditionally, we've worked a lot in this aspect of technology transfer, how it moves from the academic space into the commercial space. So we work a lot with companies who facilitate how do you commercialise an invention and turn that into a, a commercial, either so this, a company this or... So something that might have been a project within the university and at some stage the decision was taken to commercialise it. Exactly. So, you know, historically we've worked a lot with uh, Cambridge Enterprise. We also work with Imperial Innovations as well out of Imperial College London. And so we understand that journey from an idea through to, you know, potentially a, a big event like an IPO, for example, for a company. Now, you've been, uh, well, you're our next-door neighbours, and I think you... How long have you been next door to us for? Well, I've been... We've been on this business part for quite a long time. You know, previously I had a, had a different business, um, and we were based upstairs, but we've, as we've grown, we've slowly moved around the, uh, the the premises to have bigger and bigger premises. But I think we, we've been there now for five years, so... Because the Guider Street Enterprise Centre, where we are now, like, for example, this very studio used to be a bookbinder's, mm -hmm. our breakfast show presenter quips that at uh, times when he first arrived... It looked like it still was. <laughs> but that sort of thing where individual offices, uh, departments, all clustered together, that's a very old-fashioned way of working. And yet here you are, and a lot of the other companies around us here, starting all over again with, with very modern products and services. Well, I think that there's these pockets of, sort of innovation all around Cambridge. I mean, you've got the big headline ones like St John's Innovation Centre or Ideaspace, where you've got this sort of catalyst of early-stage companies. But, you know, what about all the normal people out there that are running businesses like Bookbinders or, you know, there's a charity across the road or there's an architectural research centre across the car park here and I think it's really important that Cambridge you know provides low-cost commercial space that's accessible to a wide range of people and, that, and that's why we're here a lot of us are local we live in in Romsey for example and for us um, to have this space with car parking and be this close to the station I mean it's it's it's, it's wonderful. Is there a danger that we might get fooled by the publicity surrounding Cambridge that it is all entirely science and research and healthcare and life science 
and forgetting actually about the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, who who also have a business. I think that's a, a really really important point, Julian. And I think that I'm all for supporting the local economy. I really want to see innovation. You know, just looking at Mill Road and kind of the uh, the the fear that local residents have about the big the big conglomerates coming in and taking over. I think it's really really important that we number one support our local economy, but number two is that the press and the local media essentially don't just position Cambridge as this big global player in these sectors, but also we're supporting the people that live here and, you know, make Cambridge great. I'm interested about your journey. Uh, you started, I believe, in the charity sector, and, uh, and at some point you went pretty much into a very modern digital business. Yeah, I've, I've had, a, I've had a, an interesting path, I suppose, to getting here. My father was uh, very heavily involved in technology when I was young, so I always had a really healthy interest in, you know, computing. You mentioned coding. that Charles Cotton, of course, involved with the, the Cambridge phenomenon. That, that's right, and so he worked for a company called Sinclair, and so essentially when I was young we had a lot of computers around the house, and so I was exposed to that technology at an early age. Now, interesting enough, as I got into my teens, I became involved in design. I did some work experience at an advertising agency in London and that really kind of set me to kind of want to be uh, something in the creative in the technical space so but fast forwarding a few years I actually also worked for my mother who ran a big organization called CAMFED which supports the education of girls in Africa and I was one of their kind of early employees while still studying at ARU um, doing their technology their first website things like that and so uh, it kind of gave me a, a, a good grounding in understanding that business isn't always about making money it's also about being transparent and collaborative as well. Now, the type of business that you have, whilst perfectly capable of running up a, a website for uh, for a plumber, there's plenty of companies which are doing that elsewhere in Cambridge. You go a stage further for a, a modern digital company with uh, presumably a, a little bit of a spend. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, there is, a, there is a slight barrier to entry to our services, but that's really because of our, our, our kind of deep sector experience, and also we have an incredibly talented workforce. Mm. And um, any company, I guess, has to position themselves somewhere, otherwise you're not quite sure what, what yeah, the focus is. You know, it's, it's right, Julian. You know, when we first started out with one or two people, we would we'd work for anyone, really, and we'd always do a great job. And I think that as we were building up our I kind of uh, our, our visibility in Cambridge you know we just wanted to do a great job for people and that really rather than spending lots and lots of money on advertising giving people a great product and a great customer experience you're going to get referrals out of it so that was our early strategy okay so I'm a bioscience company I- I'm not but but work with me mm-hmm. on this for a moment or two I have a budget I have several thousand pounds to spend what would I get for my money Okay, the number thing, the number one thing that we say to you is you're going to get empowerment. And so rather than you having to come back and forward to a digital agency and as your business evolves and grows and you have to spend money to change your website, to change different aspects of the coding or the design of it, essentially we give you the tools to do that yourself. So when we are designing and producing both your website, we're also designing and producing what's called a content management system, which allows you to manage your own digital destiny, which is a bit of a, 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 a phrase, but essentially that's what we're doing. So a lot of people would work with something called WordPress, sure. which are a quarter of websites are based mm-hmm. on that. You'd work with that or with your, your own platform? We can work with WordPress. We work on open source tools. We actually use a, a platform um, called Django, essentially, which is kind of a step beyond WordPress. For example, you could use Python and Django to actually build WordPress itself, essentially. So really, the technology stack that we have um, built up over time really reflects, actually, the breadth of the, the work that we do, which is, you know, from small websites all the way through to Mm. Complicated financial uh, just as much a factor of the, the smaller guy can easily 
widely used WordPress, or, and some larger companies do too. Mm -hmm. uh, but but equally, if if you're looking to build something, you you may be and you you have the finance. You, you do go that stage further. We do do that stage further. There are a lot of websites these days, especially for the types of businesses we're working for, go beyond just simple information distribution, essentially. They are websites that connect to lots of business critical systems, and actually you have to have a deeper level of technical understanding to ensure that you're meeting a client's business objectives with the digital product that you provide for them. Because I guess the days are uh, long since gone when the website is simply an electronic version of the eight-page brochure you have in the reception area. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, there is still space for that type of, you know, website out there. And, and I guess I the information still needs to be there, just a whole does. load of other things on top. And I think that there's, there, there can be too much... There's a, lot of, there's a lot of new innovation, a lot of new language in the kind of digital space. And I think for people, you know, let's say I'm a baker or something like that and I need to promote my services to a local, um, to my local uh, market, essentially. I think that the level of confusion out there at the moment is, is huge. And I think that you can be sold tools by companies on the phone I think you can be sold things online and think you need this and you think you need that SEO. But actually, what you really need to do is you need to find a guide that can help you to kind of understand the digital landscape and the tools that you really do need in order to market yourself successfully. Mm. I think it's a bit of a balance because some companies, if they've got several thousand pounds to spare, they might also actually have somebody in-house exactly. who is doing some of this stuff or at least later on are going to have to work with a company like you to make sure that everything comes together it is important to get buy-in from from that person rather than just be presented with uh, a whole load of tools that uh, they then have to manage whether they like it or not i think that's really really important you have to be comfortable with what you're taking on board and i think that you know a lot of the the tools that are out there today they're very intuitive but you do have to have an understanding about what you're trying to get out of using them essentially so first of all think about what you're objectives are. Say, for example, I'm the baker that we discussed earlier. I might want to say, okay, I want to boost my local visibility in a two-mile radius. How do I do that? Well, number one, I want to make sure that in any local search, for example, baker in Cambridge, I'm appearing within the first couple of pages. You know, I want to make sure that I've got a map location on Google Maps. And these are things that cost nothing to do, essentially. And so, you know, do the basics first and then consider yourself, do I need a website? You know, do you really need one? You may not. And, that, and that's an important um, consideration as part of this as part of this um, you know, thought process. And Cambridge companies, who's doing it well? Maybe a couple of examples of uh, people who have got their, got their marketing pretty good. Um, I mean, this, with any of our clients, I would say. <laughs> no, sorry. Oh, well, I, I forgive, forgive, forgive. that answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's a difficult question because there's literally so many out there. I mean, who, from a local perspective, I probably see two to 300 different websites a day, Julian, actually trying to be picking them out from a, from a local perspective is tough. I have to say, I did see a website last week which recently launched, and which is for a cocktail bar on Mill Road called uh, 196. And I must, um, you know, say that I do know the proprietor, um, however, he he survived without a website for about three years, but decided to take the jump into digital. And I have to say, the results are very good. So I would say that that was one of the local ones that I've seen recently that caught my eye. I've had a few of his cocktails um, over the years. Yeah. I, I, I can I can understand why he didn't necessarily need a need a website. <laughs> well, I should say that he didn't show me it after I'd had any cocktails in there, so it was seen on a, on a sober sober Monday morning, shall we say? James, thank you for joining us on Business City. I know we'll be back again in. A few future editions to uh, to talk a little bit more but uh, thanks for coming in my pleasure thank you julian
James Cotton of One Space Media there. They are so close to us, I can just turn my head around ever so slightly and see the front of their building. I'm very much looking forward to chatting to James in the future about business trends and maybe give you some advice, if we can, on the kind of tools that you can use in your business. If you've got any thoughts about that or about anything else in the business world in Cambridge, do get in touch. Uh, You need to email drive at Cambridge 105. Still to come, we'll explore the Cambridge biomedical scene with investor Dr Michael Anstey. First, though, we'll take a look and see what else is happening in our business city. The new manager of the Grafton says the number of new stores and attractions trading in the Cambridge shopping centre could double once its revamp is complete. £18 million is being invested in sprucing up the 1980s construction. This includes new flooring, double height glazed and new roof that will improve lighting and dispose of those annoying leaks for good. Jet2.com has celebrated a major milestone with its first ever flights and holidays from Stansted Airport. 27 leisure destinations will be visited by seven brand new Boeing 737-800 aircraft. The scale of the operation makes London Stansted Jet2.com's fourth biggest UK base with up to 96 weekly flights at peak season. The investment has created over 250 jobs in flight and cabin crew, engineering and ground operation roles. Several Cambridge spin-offs have been awarded Biostart funding as well as the opportunity to join the UK's first synthetic biology accelerator programme. The spin-off companies will be entering an intensive programme of high-quality mentorship, entrepreneurial training and workshops with access to a global network of customers and opportunities. Three Cambridge-based companies have been selected to join the accelerator programme, including Entomix and Calorifix, which are both based in the Department of Plant Sciences, and Crothera, based at the Babroom Institute. Optimism among finance bosses in the UK has reached an 18-month high. The latest survey from Deloitte shows 31% are feeling more positive about prospects for their company than they were three months ago. That's up from 3% immediately after the referendum and the highest level since the second quarter of 2015. Dr Michael Anstey recently joined Cambridge Innovation Capital as an investment director specialising in healthcare investments. Michael was previously with the Boston Consulting Group's office in Toronto, Canada, where he was a principal in the healthcare practice area. So who better to ask about the role of the Cambridge healthcare sector within the city's economy? Michael, welcome to Cambridge 105 and our Business City programme. Do you need a background in health to invest in the sector or is it just an investment like anything else? The short answer is you do need a background in health. Um, The companies that we invest in are IP rich, very technical businesses. And by IP you mean intellectual property. That's right. Um, and, And quite early stage. 
And so you need to understand the science and the rationale behind the science to see whether or not it is a good investment opportunity. Mm-hmm. And by early stage, is this the point when the scientists are still in the lab developing, tweaking, improving what they've done? So at CIC, we invest quite uh, broadly across early stage and later stage. So when I say early stage, it can be an idea in the lab with some early data, and we can help form a business around that um, idea and around that data. And it can also be an established business that need funds to help them with their growth. Mm. And are we talking medicines here or the equipment that we see when we go to Addenbrooke's or somewhere else? All the above. So CIC invests in therapeutics, so new drugs, in medical technologies, um, as well as diagnostic tools. So anything in the field of life sciences and healthcare we're, we're interested in. Give us some examples, then, of something which either you've been involved with or CIC. I know yourself, you're, you're relatively new to the company, but with a very uh, a broad experience beforehand in, in other places. So tell us about something which somebody will say, yeah, I, I know something about that. Yeah. So our investment thesis is what is hot right now? We want to chase opportunities in hot spaces. And so we need to find a need and then find which businesses or which ideas are addressing that need. One very hot topic is around personalized medicine. So the idea is that you and I are different. We have different DNA. We have different genomes. And so a medicine for me may work in one way, which would work differently for you. And one company that we've invested in quite recently is called Innovata. And they are in the field of personalized medicine where they're using um, DNA in the blood to help identify and diagnose cancer. And, and the idea that if you can have this really non-invasive way of looking for cancers and, and making it specific to the individual, then that can open up a huge amount of opportunities for cancer treatment down the road. And, and I guess for something like, for example, you, know, you and I both might have a cold, which is quite, quite probable given the re- <laughs> re- recent weeks. And we both take the same medicine, but I might get, I don't know, a rash somewhere yep. as a result of this, of this medication. You, you might get away with it. Ab- absolutely fine. No, no yep. problem at all. So is the idea with personalized medicine that we can work around these potential side effects? That, uh, or is it simply making the drug better? It's both. So, so a good drug, it needs to be safe and needs to be effective. So if you're looking to build personalized medicines and you want to achieve both of those goals, um, and so, for example, if you have a drug that is very effective on you but gives you bad reactions, and that's not going to work for you. And, and if we can design drugs that are personalized, then, then the patient wins at the end of the day. It's quite amazing sometimes that drugs do end up giving people side effects. Now, you know, we, we have all of this technology and research behind us, yet side effects still emerge. Or is that just the way it is? Because, as you say, people are so different. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate a lot of drugs are designed to kill things. So if you look at treating cancer, ultimately you're trying to kill the cancer in your body. Um, and so if that spills into healthy pieces of your body, then that's going to have negative consequences. So it's really making it precise and tailored. That's how you reduce the side effects. And the money, the, the interest, does it go to the high-profile diseases, illnesses, and cancer... It's, 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 it's a dreadful illness. But there are other ones out, out there some, sometimes. And cancer gets a lot of publicity, deservedly so. But some, one sometimes feels do get pushed to one side. 
That's right. So there's these things called orphan drugs um, and rare diseases that we're especially interested in as well because there's a huge unmet need there. And and they may almost fall below the radar of the big pharma companies and the big biotech companies because the markets aren't big enough and such. And so we're absolutely um, keen to find those businesses and help develop drugs in those more, quote-unquote, niche areas. So are you investing in, in the little guys? You're not necessarily going to be giving money to the likes of AstraZeneca because they don't need it, exactly. uh, clearly. I, AstraZeneca and the likes are the customers of the little guys that we invest in, help build, help grow. So those large pharma companies are ideally the end game in many circumstances, not what we're supporting. Mm. So is it like another business, well, other businesses, where ultimately they want to get bought? There's a couple exits. So... When you form a business, you have investors in that business and you have the founders of the business. There's usually a financial motive behind these businesses. Um, and so you need to get a way to have your money out. And that could be being, by being bought. It could be by going on the public markets. And, and we're keen to build big businesses. We want to not just develop IP and then have it sold very quickly. We want to build businesses that have revenues, that employ people, um, and, and being listed on a, on a public market is a great way mm. to achieve growth and help achieve liquidity. Because this, like, like any, any other business, but I would say more so, you need the people to stay with the business because otherwise you don't have a business. Yep, it's, it's all about the people. At the end of the day, people come first. Um, and, and that's why we are in Cambridge because Cambridge has some of the best and brightest people within the healthcare and technology space. And that's what's making the Cambridge cluster so... Uh, unique and successful compared to other areas in England or in the world. Mm. I, I want to come to that a little bit in just just a moment's time, but to, to end this, this little sequence first, how do you do the balancing of making sure that, yes, people need a return on their investment, but at the same time, you don't want to fleece the National Health Service or, or its equivalents in any other uh, territory around the world. So how do you sort that out? Yeah. A successful is it your job to do so, even? Well, a successful business is only successful if you are helping the patients and helping the customers. So you can't build a business that doesn't have a clear need and isn't going to be helpful, that doesn't work in healthcare and life sciences businesses. So first and foremost, is there a need for this? Is there a market for this? If the answer is yes, and if the business has a good solution to that, then by definition, it's going to grow and be successful, and those those with a financial motive are going to get returns. Mm. But it can never be driven just by financial motives. That that never works. Okay. Um, tell me about what brought you to Cambridge then, because uh, you're actually you're Canadian. Uh, you, is your first um, employment in Britain, as it were? Uh, no. So I actually did my PhD. Um, co-supervised by a professor at Oxford and a professor at Cambridge. Um, so I've, I've spent time here before. I then went away and worked at a global management consulting firm called the Boston Consulting Group, where I traveled around the US and Europe and Asia, uh, working with very large Fortune 500 businesses um, and helping them with their greatest challenges. And, and now the opportunity to come back to Cambridge and join a firm like CIC allows me to support businesses, but those on the early stage of the cycle rather than at the late stage. And, so and if you're in the Fortune 500, then you'll be doing pretty well, I would have thought, yeah, already. That, that's, that's the idea. Yeah, exactly. But the idea of being able to apply what I've learned working with big organizations to small organizations, I hope, will be valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about Cambridge Innovation Capital. Well, where do they come from? So they were formed in 2013, and we work very closely with Cambridge Enterprise, which is the technology transfer and seed fund office of the university. And the idea is that we want to work together to help grow and sustain 
businesses that come out of the Cambridge area. So those from the university, but also those from the surrounding institutes um, and, and just the, the region in general. So people perhaps who are on the, uh, the, the the campus around Addenbrooke's, but but also beyond, I, I guess, Baybroom and other, That's and exactly other, other right. areas too. That's exactly right. So about half of our investments are spin-outs from the university, and we are a preferred investor of Cambridge University, and the other half are, exactly like you say, from institutes and, and science parks in the surrounding area. Mm. Do, do, you have one if you have, do you have any rules of things, things like animal testing? Do you avoid that at all costs, or is that something you uh, accept as, as needs to be done? Um, in terms of developing drugs, that's part of the process. Um, so, of course, we, we will not invest in things like firearms and tobacco and things that are against what the university and what the area are, are supporting. Um, but animal testing is a tricky one because it's hard to avoid that as you develop new therapeutics. Mm. But you do have, then have rules within the testing, as it were. Absolutely. And those are, those are national rules that you have to operate in as a, as a drug discovery business. They're, they're well-defined. Okay. Uh, tell, me, tell me more about, about the businesses, because it is a sort of a special area, yes. which, which Cambridge seems to be focusing on. And I guess it's the, the perfect storm of, of having a hospital such as Addenbrooke's and the mm-hmm. f- facilities around it, together, of course, with the brains who are coming out of the university. Yeah, this this unique combination of having world-class university, world-class institutes, a fantastic hospital, people in the area who are passionate about building small businesses and, and turning them into large businesses. So that that mix, this ecosystem here is in, incredibly unique. Um, and that's why we're here. We're here to support that and provide what we would call smart capital, which is money mm-hmm. and hands-on support to, to help the area become even more successful than it already is. And what sort of sums are, are we talking about I mean, when, you, when you invest in, and I know it's, you'll say that they're, yeah. not, they're not alike, but uh, yeah. you know, tip, typically, what, what yeah. sort of money is coming and going into new Cambridge businesses or a business developing a new product or a line? So we have £125 million under management. Um, and we would invest anywhere between a couple hundred thousand pounds in a business to give them a start up to a few, even 10 or more million pounds in a business as they grow. Um, it's unlikely we put a huge amount of money in, in one go, but you can see it where there's a great idea, put a couple hundred thousand pounds in, follow up in a couple years with a couple million pounds, so and then So you check more. and see how they're doing, oh, just to, to make sure, well, obviously, exactly. said, any, any, any loan you need to check up on, but particularly with, with sums of, of that magnitude. That's right, and when we, when we invest, we, we usually take a seat on the board. So we're involved almost at a day-to-day basis in helping that company. It's by no means writing a check and then saying, thanks so much, see you in five years. It's, mm. it's, it's the opposite of that. So actually. when a new idea comes in, uh, obviously you'll read it, you'll study it, you'll use your professional expertise. Do you, yep. I don't know, I guess there's a formal process of ensuring that those other people who are working with you at CIC who may, may have dealt with something similar in the past yep. can say, yes, I think this is a go. Oh, no, no, don't touch this one. I'd, yep. I'd have a look at something else. Yeah, we see on average one opportunity a day, which is around 250 a year. Um, and then they're all from Cambridge or from further afield? from field? the Cambridge area. Okay. Yeah. So, we, so how, we, would you define, how far, far away do you define <laughs> it, that? It's, it's a moving target, but, but just like you say, so the university and surrounding science parks and institute, uh, institutes around here. Um, and so we see one a day. Uh, and, and that involves meeting the team and it involves understanding what their business is and what the science is. 
and and as a team we decide this is something we want to invest in or this is not something we want to invest in so it's very much a team um, a team decision and and that's based on the team having various different expertise and backgrounds and so if you have a group of investors around the table that all have a very diverse background then hopefully we make good decisions and, and hopefully we don't either miss things that are great or make decisions and things that are that are not well suited for venture capital mm-hmm. investment and where does the money come from does it are we are we talking pension funds or wealthy individuals hoping to boost their portfolio even more? Yep. So our investors are large institutional investors who want to have access to the Cambridge area. And it takes a lot of work to find those great businesses. And and so our investors don't have the capacity or even capabilities to do that. So they're investing in us to then go and find these best opportunities. And why do they want Cambridge in particular? Uh, The short answer is, is because that is where the best innovation is happening in England arguably in Europe and arguably globally. Um, there's something very, very unique and special here and, and people want access to it. And and, and so us as an organization are, are spending our days finding those great businesses. And, 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 can, you crit- and can you crystallize as to exactly what it is? It must be more than, ju- <laughs> we know there's good work, but beyond yeah. that, it must be more than just a feeling. Yeah. So so the are you talking about a business or are you talking about the Cambridge area? The Cambridge area in yeah. particular. If you think about what a successful innovation hub looks like, you need to have um, IP being produced, intellectual property being produced. So the university is doing that. So you've got lot and the institutes. You've got lots of very smart people in a small area. You have cash around through investors. You have professional services to help support these businesses. You have individuals and entrepreneurs who have done this before who are doing it again. You have a, a broad set of small businesses in the area that can form um, a sort of supportive network. So it's 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 many, many different forms all coming together in a relatively small area and mixing, bumping into each other on a day-to-day basis that creates this, this unique ecosystem. Dr. Michael Anstey, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Dr. Michael Anstey from Cambridge Innovation Capital talking there about healthcare investments. Thanks very much to Michael, also to James Cotton of One Space Media. If you want to get in touch with us, then the usual address applies, which is drive at cambridge105.co.uk, or you can tweet us, if you like, at cambridge105. With a business, Business City. See you next week.